you know, the God is the God of comfort. He's the God of all comfort. And to rely on him to get you through your grief and to show you in spite of your grief who he is and how much he loves you is in some ways a small price to pay. Joy Podcast. I am William Lloyd, a man of sorrow. Our podcast is committed to supporting and encouraging men to process their grief in order to heal and return to joyful living in the midst of great sadness. Today's podcast is sponsored by TJB Web Media, a New Jersey SEO marketing and WordPress web design company for businesses, churches, and nonprofits. It is the number one ranked company in Google for New Jersey SEO companies and New Jersey internet marketing companies. You can check out their information in our show notes. Today's podcast is a conversation with Ron Glenn. Ron is the brother of John Glenn, who has been a guest on the podcast and is mentioned often because he was my grief counselor. Ron lives in Colorado with his wife and three children. His fourth child, Joey, is at home with the Lord, and Ron is here to tell us about his journey of finding joy. Without further delay, here's my conversation with Ron. Thank you for coming on on the podcast and coming on Men of Sorrows, Finding Joy. Give a little introduction to yourself for for the listeners, then we'll delve into your, your story, to your grief journey. My name is Ron Glenn. I live in Colorado Springs. John Glenn, who lives in Okeechobee at Freedom Ranch, is my brother, my older brother, I must say. Some people confuse us uh, in that order, but uh, he is my older brother. I do have a younger brother here in the Springs, retired from the police force, and a sister that now lives in uh, just outside of Houston a little ways. So, we're, we're spread out a little bit. We all grew up here in, in the Springs. John and I went to Bible College in Dallas, Texas, Independent Baptist College, back in the days when I thought I was going to be a preacher. And what I was was a follower of John. <laughs> he, uh, in a lot of ways, was my, my father figure as we were growing up, because my father was too busy being a pastor to pay much attention to his family. And that's, and that's not, I'm not trying to criticize him at all. I understand now uh, where he was and what he was doing. So that, that part's in the past. I'm retired now. I worked construction most of my life in one form or another. Enjoy getting on these panels like this, this, discuss scripture and mm-hmm. uh, discuss God in the various ways that he's seen and the various ways that he works. So uh, I, I was happy that you asked me to come on. Four ch- I have four children. One past is deceased, and that's who we're going to talk about today a little bit. I'll give you the story. 
uh, whenever you're ready. But uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at and who I yeah. am. And that's how we met. We met through through John. And that's how, you know, that's how you and I met. Now, how much older were you guys at the college at the same time? Or was that after John came back from Vietnam? Or That was after he came back from Vietnam. And yes, we went down. He went down, uh, oh, probably six months ahead of me. And uh-huh. then uh, he went down, I don't know, somewhere around the first of the year. And I didn't go down until like July and something. And uh, yeah. And he had already been there and through one semester and um, I followed him down there and and left again about this, <laughs> about six months after he left. Yeah. And we both came back up to Colorado Springs where he took over the uh, as a pastor for where my dad had left that church. They called him and he accepted that invitation to be a pastor and uh, and pastored it for many years, uh, nine years, I think, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. So that's kind of what we did. I started a little uh, mission project up in the mountains in a, in a sleepy community outside Colorado Springs uh, called Woodland Park. The church went on, I mean, it didn't grow and was had large numbers or anything, but uh Pastored there for for about three years and until the Lord just nailed me for what I was doing. So I gave it up. He was I, I was trying to build his church and he was very adamant about uh, stop it. I build my church. Yeah. And so yeah. Um, so that rearranged my life a little bit. I then felt the call that I'm not a pastor. So. Yeah. I went into a deep, dark hole for a while, uh, really questioning God, questioning everything. There's a lot of there's a lot of grief about that loss. Yeah, endured, uh, and a lot of guilt uh, with some of the things that I did, and so you know, grief can be over anything. Yes, loss of anything that you have counted significant in your life. And uh, that was a significant part of my life. And it, uh, so I went through some pretty heavy grief and that's where I lost it. Uh, We get into the story of my son. I can explain a little better what that grief, while it was similar, the effects weren't the same. Yeah. But I'm glad you said that because I remember years ago, I just, the thought hit me like we don't know how to grieve we don't like to grieve we don't know how to grieve and i meant as like a culture because there's always loss there's always that that type of suffering you know i i kind of got to hand it to you because some people in your shoes would have just faked it being a pastor you know they just would have kept going and you know not not having like the courage to say listen that's not my calling and i think there's a lot that you know like i not to get into it but there's a lot of weaker brothers out there leading the churches you know and it's it's it's, yeah. it's a problem that i mean divorce will bring bring grief any any kind of loss mm-hmm. and then sometimes you can grieve what 
what could have been, you know, if, if, if you're giving something up or you're in any decision we make, we're usually giving up one thing to, to gain another. And we always have to be willing to, to go through that grief process. Mm-hmm. You know, even when I moved, when I moved to Florida, there was grief, you know, I was leaving family, friends, you know, right. uh, in that state. And so there's always, there's always a, a type of grieving but you said you were in a dark hole before we go there. You said you were in a dark hole when you kind of gave up your calling and, and or realized you weren't called. And I guess there was a lot of identity issues there. And Oh, yeah. And that that was the key to it. I mean, I was uh, I don't know if you ever saw the show, The Tin Men, uh, the guys that went door to door selling uh, aluminum siding back in the 50s. No, no. Uh, it's quite a movie, but I was a typical tin man back then, uh, working for a company, and we sold tidy and windows. And I go door to door and and uh, try to sell it and hiding basically uh, from anybody I knew that knew me. Yeah. Quit going to church. Said nah. This isn't, this isn't for me. I'm kind of mad at God. I'm mad at the world. I'm mad at me. I'm mad at about everything you can think of. And this deep, dark hole, the only thing that pulled me out of it really was uh, was John's teaching in, uh, in your true identity, who you are in Christ. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. fact that he... I guess looking back, I could say it's planned by God, but certainly didn't understand that then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's developing you in the way he wants you to be. I was fighting it. I didn't, you know, I couldn't grasp it and couldn't grasp it and couldn't grasp it. It took me a lot of years. It took me yeah. a number of years to really begin to grasp that. And I'm still learning a lot about it. It's not mm-hmm. over yet, but looking back on it, that deep dark hole is I didn't want anything to do with God. It's, it felt like he didn't want anything to do with me. And so I had to come around on that. And he brought me around uh, through John's teaching and, and uh, the identity issue. Who are you? Just who, who are you? Realizing that slowly started coming out of it. Um, it, was, it was a time thing. And during this time, we had, you know, I mean, even before, as I was still pastoring, we had Joey. That taught me quite a bit, too. And I didn't realize what I was doing, but loving him as he was. was a, a very God making himself known through me, and I didn't even know it. Yeah. And Joey was born in 1978? This is 1978, yeah. Uh, right after we got out of school and moved back up to Colorado Springs, he was born here December 28, uh, 1978. And it's about two and a half years after his older brother, who was born when we were in Dallas uh, at school. And shortly after his birth, uh, <laughs> my mom, who I think was a little bit of a prophetess, she said right after he was born, just a few weeks, that there's something wrong with this boy. 
Mm-hmm. And we kind of, I took that as kind of a strange thing. What do you mean there's something wrong with him? He's an infant. He can't do anything yet. Yeah. Uh, but as time progressed, and I don't remember and recall exactly how long it was, a few weeks, or maybe a month or two, that uh, he started uh, having what they call petite seizures. And these are first noticed by the doctor by, uh, from the eyes. And the eyes have a tendency to, to quiver just a mm-hmm. little bit. And they saw that and thought that was a little, you know, and they increasingly got worse. Um, we, we were referred to the uh, University Hospital, University of Colorado in Denver, um, their hospital who there was the only neurological or pediatric uh, neurologist in the area was located there. And so we were referred to up there. She said, I've only heard of three cases like this ever, and I've never seen one. This is a first. So it was kind of a, it sounds odd saying it maybe, but it's kind of a miraculous thing that this even happened uh, mm-hmm. in in the sense of being supernatural. We were told it was a prenatal stroke at the time. That's what it was mm-hmm. diagnosed as, where the right side of his brain had not developed like it should have in a normal child. And it was just really a, a mass of fluid. But it was still, there was enough there that it was still connected to the left side. But it, it created a paralysis. Eventually, it started, uh, the petite seizures moved into grand mal seizures. And by the time he was one years old, he would he would start with the grand mal, and they increasingly got worse. So, of course, he was on all kinds of drugs, experimental and everything else to try to control those uh, grand mal seizures. And those are the ones you think of like an epileptic or something yeah. where they're on the ground thriving and, mm-hmm. and grunting and making noises and foaming at the mouth and that sort of thing. And he was doing that, uh, not all the time, but enough where the medication seemed to uh, alleviate some of that, but he would still have them. I mean, he'd have them in the middle of the night would wake me up. And I can remember going down to his room. Uh, we built a room addition. <laughs> we took John's house when he moved to Florida. We oh. bought him and, uh, but it was a tri-level. So the bedrooms and bathrooms are either upstairs or downstairs. Uh-huh. Uh, knew, knew he was never going to be able to walk upstairs and he's going to get too big one of these days for me to carry upstairs. So we built a room addition on in the back and put a bathroom on there. And so he was, you know, almost not really, it's not that far away from us. It's not that big a house, but mm-hmm. uh, he, he could wake me up having those grand malls and the noises that he would make and, I can remember running down and just, you know, all you could do is just grab him and hold him. Mm-hmm. And I can remember doing that a number of times <laughs> through the yeah. years. And so anyway, that, uh, you know, the prognosis, they didn't know. They couldn't tell us what to expect. He 
could live five years. He could live 50 years. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, they don't know. They didn't know. You know, the, we, there, there was grief in that. Uh, we had three other children, one before him. He had an older brother, and then we had a, a younger sister and a younger brother. So we kind of grieved a couple of things there, or I went through grief in a couple of those things. Uh, one is not having a normal family. You know, that's out the window. Now everything revolves around taking care of him. The, the, the second thing was, you know, for him personal grieving that he's not normal. So uh, grieving that loss. Yeah, it must have been hard as a, as a dad seeing him go through those seizures and being in that. Were they painful? You know, it's it's so hard to tell. He never communicated. We couldn't. Yeah. We never really be. He couldn't verbalize anything. He could make mm-hmm. noises, but not. He could scream louder than. <laughs> I mean, his screams are just sheer, and he'd do that every once. But he'd do it when he's happy, when he's excited about something. You know, mm-hmm. him some McDonald's French fries. He loved those things, and he would just scream and, and yeah just do it and then giggle and then just giggle afterwards i think from our reactions to it we'd yell joy stop that <laughs> <laughs> and he just start laughing but yeah it was it was hard to go through that i i can remember especially as he got a lot older in his teens mid teens when he'd have those grand malls like that i can remember asking I actually praying to God, I said, and asking him, either heal him or take him home. Yeah. I mean, I, that was, that's where I was. I just had a hard time seeing him in what I considered was pain mm-hmm. with those grand malls. And mm-hmm. I, I just, and that may just be an assumption I had. I don't know. You know, when he'd come out of it, he'd just go to sleep. And there's no way for him to communicate, man, that hurt or anything like that. There's no way to know. You know, we raised him. Uh, we did what we could. He was wheelchair bound. He would scoot across the floor. But as he got older, he uh, beginning was uh, because his left side was paralyzed. He was beginning to shrink that way. And his spine was curving. And by the time he was 18, the doctors uh, said we really need to perform surgery to not, you're not going to straighten the back out at this point, but to prevent it from continuing. Otherwise, in a few years, it's going to be real hard for him to breathe. Mm-hmm. It's going to put pressure on the lungs. I, I was really hesitant because I figured the kid, he'd already been through hip surgery. He'd been through, uh, Seems like all kinds of experimental stuff. He would have those grand malls and come down on his face and chip his teeth out and stuff like that. And he'd just been through enough. And I, I, I so I was a little hesitant about saying yes. And the wife, <laughs> my wife, saying, "Yeah, we gotta, we gotta get that surgery." So we had it scheduled, and then ended up twelve-hour uh, surgery in Denver, uh, and. His heart gave up at the end of the surgery. He went to the surgery fine, but they came out right there at the end and said, uh, we've lost him. You know, then that uh, that brought on a whole new 
type of grief experienced up to that point. But it was also, uh, it felt like I was in a bubble. I was in, in some kind of a bubble where I could see everything going on. I could hear it. I could feel it. I mean, I, the grief, the crying, the all of that. But there, it was like a, I call it a bubble of peace. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that that was a, a spiritual comfort that God was giving me. Within that, and I know Richard Rohr would understand, and maybe some of you would understand it. I don't know, but uh, but there was a there was a sense of joy that I had never really felt before. You know, you say, "Well, how could you? You know, how could you have that joy?" It was an assurance, number one, that God has actually spoken to me, an assurance of where he, he went where Joey is now and mm-hmm. that he's completely healed. Something that we couldn't do here for him at home. And God has done for him and taken him home. It was, it was, it was that that created the joy um, that I'm talking about here. Not a, not a happiness. <laughs> right. You know, you know, the difference between happy and joy. Uh, so, there was there was some mixed emotions in all of that. But. Yeah, I want I wanted to ask you that joy and peace that you talk about in that bubble was that immediate or did it take a few days, weeks, months? Like how soon no, did you? Immediate. And I'll tell you why. You know, I I, exp- I I think I told you this the other day, and I was telling you that uh, I was having some real problems with the. Uh, making him endure this surgery, right? go through the surgery. And uh, Becky was all for it and kept pushing it. And I finally gave in to it, but only after I heard God speak to me and say, you know, go ahead with the surgery, but he's not going to survive the surgery. And this just blew me away. Yeah, I, I I didn't hear him, you know, audibly uh, that type of thing, but I just knew this, and I know it's from God. So I was kind of testing God in a way too for a year because He told me, "Don't tell anybody." Right. <laughs> you don't need to tell anybody this. Remember you telling me that this, yeah. this is me and you. You know, is kind of where He was going with it. I think it was kind of like. You know, I thought a lot about Abraham and Isaac at that time mm-hmm. uh, during that year and what Abraham must have been feeling like. You know, so we, I went through the year and we kept it and planned it and uh, went up there and we had it and went through 12, almost 12 hours of surgery. And the doctor came out and said, everything's, surgery went great. We just finished him up and we rolled him over and and they had him in several different positions to work on that back. And uh, about 15 minutes after that, he came back out and said, we got a serious problem here. You know, and at the time, I'm thinking when he first told me that the surgery was fine, I'm going, okay, God, dude, that wasn't you? I mean, what? I, I don't understand. I'm just really confused. Mm-hmm. Happy, I mean, it was 
it's fine, but man, I really missed it, you know, and feeling down on myself a little bit for being so stupid. Uh, I think that. And 15 minutes later, he came out and said, we've got a serious problem. And I went back in and came back out and said, we lost him. And his heart gave out. Mm -hmm. And then at that moment, I mean, it was that moment when he said that, is this bubble just encompassed me. Yeah, that and peace that passes all understanding. Exactly. And there's yeah. no way I can explain it. Yeah. And, you know, as far as when when you were questioning whether you heard God's voice or not, you know, I remember, you know, John teaching us, you know, about hearing God's voice for ourselves, And that really is what's going to distinguish us from falling into legalism. But he said, you're not always going to get it right. It's, it's a practice. You're mm -hmm. going to practice hearing his voice. But I think hearing that, you know, when you were talking to me about that the other day, I immediately thought that that was God's way of showing you, too, that he's in charge of, of death. You know, he's in charge. He holds the keys of life and death, and it doesn't catch him by surprise. He's in control of the whole situation. A sparrow doesn't fall to the ground, and that he's very intimately involved in all of that, all of, you know, in, in death. And the other thing I wanted to comment on and, and ask you when um, you did say that you had prayed, Lord, either heal him or take him home. So, you know, when the doctors told you that he, he didn't make it through the surgery, that his heart gave out after the surgery, did you think, well, there's there's my answer? There's God's answer? Yeah, that did that did come back to me as well. That that and that, that's where a lot of the peace came in. Mm -hmm. Where I know he's not hurting. I know that that he's completely healed, and the doctors really didn't have a hand in it. Right. I mean, to be able to survive the surgery, which he did. Yes. Uh, wasn't the doctor's fault. In fact, I told them when they met with us and they, the whole surgical team meets in the private room with you, uh, something like that. And uh, I told them because they kept saying, we're, we're not sure why that happened. We don't, we don't understand it. Mm -hmm. And I told them, I remember telling them this. I says, I know you don't understand why he died but I do you keep up your good work that's what I told him that was it that's all I could say you know I did not hold them responsible I did not there's no way those guys did a great job but the days were numbered yeah and, uh, and they had no part in that mm -hmm. so that's the kind of bubble I was in that would allow me to say that because in years past, I probably would have been all over and looking for a lawyer and uh -huh. crap. So, yeah. but I didn't, we've, uh, since then we've financially helped support children's hospital where he was at the time. He's got his name on a wall there because over the years we we didn't donate a lot, obviously, but but we donated consistently every year, and he got his name on the wall 
They're in the New Children's Hospital. Yes. Donations. So, you know, so it, it was that type of thing that there was no blame game going on. There was no why me going on in that. And I can only attribute that to God and his comfort and his speaking to me earlier, telling me what was going to happen, foretelling it. Uh, no details, but the, just the fact of it. And that he was preparing me for that and preparing me for for uh, accepting that. Now, and this is what my fear was for years about telling anybody this, that uh, it would it would sound like, well, you really didn't care. You just didn't care about your son. You didn't, you know, I mean, how could you? <laughs> Which, in hearing the story just there, I guess that can be seen that way. But that's, believe me, there were tears shed. There were feelings hurt. There was pain in that suffering. In fact, I still feel it uh, to this day. You know, in the the in the great I've used this before, but the, the great theologian Willie Nelson has a song that says that this is not something you get over; it's something you get through. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really can understand that. You learn to live with that with the loss. You learn to live with that grief. You learn to. Uh, live with missing him. It's not that you don't miss him. I mean, every time I even talk about him, I miss him. Yes. Uh, you know, and there's certain specific things I don't miss, like changing a dirty diaper on a 19-year-old. That's not fun. But to have him take his right arm and throw it around your neck and chuckle and just <laughs> squeeze you, I mean, that, yeah. that I miss. You know, God is a God of comfort. He's the God of all comfort. And to rely on him to get you through your grief and to show you in spite of your grief who he is and how much he loves you is in some ways a small price to pay. Yeah, there's there's no words for that. I'm glad that you, you said that although you had that wonderful peace and the joy that there was, the grief was there, but you're grieving and you're mourning with the hope that, that Paul talks about. And that makes all the difference, I believe. And I, I understand what you're saying about, I I have more joy in my life on the other side of that journey than I ever have. You know, I have more, I, I experience it. And like you said, it's not happiness. But it's, it's that it's that deep joy, and this, this it's blended somehow with the sadness. But it also tells me when I think of when you talk about Joey being healed now and having his his new body, that we're we're part of all that. You know, this this big picture that God has, this you know plan that He has for all all of us that really to me i don't know how folks go through it 
without knowing that, without that comfort, without that that peace. So as you went through that, your whole family was going through it as well. How, how was, how were those dynamics? Did everybody mourn or grieve differently? I, yeah, there was. You know, each of the kids are <laughs> are different in in a lot of ways, but probably the the hardest hit in all of it was my wife. She had, uh, she was the 24 seven, 365 caretaker. And she is the one that took it upon herself and had the belief that this was her destiny in life was to take care of joy for all her life. Mm-hmm. And that This is what God wanted her to do. All of that came this is who she is. This is what she is. Yeah. And she she believed that strongly. All that came crumbling down when when he died. And it was like, now what do I do? I'm back to square one. I mean, it's like having a full cup and then spilling it all and now it's empty. It really hit her hard. I, it took me to the extent that it was quite some time, maybe as much as a month or maybe even longer before I could even tell her about what God told me to begin with. Mm -hmm. But when I did, she was like, well, why didn't you say something? We'd have stopped that. We'd have never done it. We'd never had the surgery. I told her then, I said, that wouldn't have mattered. That would not have mattered. He could have laid right in there in his bed on that April 3rd and at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the evening, had a heart attack and died. I wasn't going to be able to change anything by saying something or not saying something. There's nothing I could do to change anything. I think she accepted that uh, as as an answer uh, to... Why didn't you try and stop that? Well, yeah, I'm going to try and stop God from doing something. Yeah. (laughs) And you're touching on something there where it, which was difficult for me, but there, there is the, the Psalm of David. I think it's Psalm 139. Maybe it talks about like, you know, the number of my days. And a lot of people told me, you know, because Liam was complicated for me because it was suicide. Right. You know, that, you know, God knew and that wh- I think what I hear you saying is that he would have he would have passed that day because that was God's timing in his life. It would have been some other way. Mm-hmm. And I, I had a hard time receiving that. But what I eventually really came to believe, I feel like God revealed to me, is that John would use the term God took Liam home. And I would say, no, he didn't. Liam took, you know, Liam did it to himself, you know. But then I talked to one of the first podcasts we did, two gentlemen that actually tried to take their lives the same way Liam did, and the gun jammed, and these things happened where, you know, obviously it was God intervening. What I come to believe is like when we look at people that, you know, maybe maybe get a healing or 
miraculously miss a terrible car accident. Or I remember people telling stories that, you know, they stopped for a Band-Aid because there was a blister on their foot and they didn't get into the towers on 911. They didn't get to work at the time they would have and they just missed it. I think of all those things and I say, well, all right, but what does that say for the people that die, <laughs> the people that were there? And what I believe God showed me is that he'll intervene. And I, I, I think there's places where we see that God obviously intervened. When I'm not intervening, that's because I'm taking the person home. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I, how, how that's, that's settled for me, that if God didn't jam Liam's gun, it was time for Liam to come home. God jammed Steve's gun. <laughs> Steve's gun jammed, and it wasn't time for him to come home. That's that's kind of the way I, I kind of settled that. And you yeah. kind of believe that that if it wasn't at the hospital that, that Joey would have passed mm-hmm. that day. Yeah, and that's that is that's the conclusion I came to as well. And I don't, I didn't come to it on my own. I really believe that was from the Lord. I think, didn't you quote uh, Isaiah 57? Yes. Yes. And that, I don't know how I missed that. That one really touched home with me. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what it is. I mean, our days are numbered. Every one of our days are numbered. If he numbers a hair on your head, you know, he, he can number your days. Yeah, and, and he has, and uh, and all things work together, all yeah. things. Yeah. Uh, so that has been uh, a real eye opener. Uh, you know, like I say, there 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 are days that uh, the thing will kick off, and and I, I'll feel that sorrow again. I'll feel. Uh, I'm really missing him, but then I think of where he's at now and what he's experienced in the last 20 years. Yeah. So it just, it's like, you know, he if I gave him the choice, he wouldn't want to come back. I think that way too. Day of, we had Liam's service, memorial service out at Freedom Ranch, and Mary, the secretary, made, she made a little, you know, um, flyer for the order of events when i got there john was adamant like he 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 wanted it changed even though they printed him out he wanted it changed and he wanted the scripture verse on there whether we live or we die we belong to the lord and i can tell that for some reason that god spoke to him about that and he told mary he says i and i said man i said john really because i was a mess and my faith was upside down. I said, John really believes that. I said, man, I wish I could believe it like he's believing that right now. I mean, he was really adamant. I've sat through John officiating. We've had we've lost a lot of loved ones through the years, um, people in our congregation, and so we've we've done some together. And I've I've heard John speak about it. And when he speaks about eternity, I don't know whether God gave him some unique insight about it but he talks about past present and future that from joey's point of view you're already there with him mm-hmm. so, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know rejoicing and i remember i was i told him i said john i'm 
I'm so screwed up and so grasping for some type of control. You know, I was praying and saying, God, if you're going to make a new earth, how are all the people that ever lived all through all those generations going to be able to be on the new earth? <laughs> I said, I'm trying to control the afterlife. And John says, oh, in eternity, a billion people can fit on that couch over there. <laughs> and he says it with such like matter of fact. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, that's the that's kind of the thing I think of. Uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, the singer. Uh, rock singer that his kid fell out of a window in New York. And, oh, Eric Clapton, yeah. Yeah, Eric Clapton. Yeah, his song, Will, yeah. I, Will, Will You Know Me in Heaven. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think of that a lot, that, that yeah. song. And I've had very similar thoughts to that. You know, if there's billions of people going to be in heaven, how am I going to find joy? Yeah. You know, I mean... <laughs> how am I going to know him? How am I, yeah. you know? And it, again, it's like you say, you, you come to, to trying to trying to organize heaven. Yeah, yeah, trying to figure it all out. In your own mind. And that's just, you know, that's just <laughs> way beyond our control. Yeah. So that, uh, but I think we do have that to look forward to. Uh it's kind of like the, 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 the idea of uh, there's no marriage or giving in marriage. Right. How am I going to know my wife? Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> that type yeah. of thing. It, it's, I don't know. Yeah. God's got it figured out. Yeah. But, yeah, we're going to be uh, exactly what we need to be to one another. And when my father-in-law passed, my son-in-law bought my wife a book called Imagine Heaven by John Burke. And it was all about the near-death experiences. And at that time, I was like, oh, well, I, that's not scriptural. I have the Bible. I don't need that, you know. And then when Liam died, I man, I picked that book up. And it was very, very compelling, very scriptural, very biblical. And John Burke was an engineer, and he was kind of an agnostic. And he had seen the book by his dad's bedside about one of the first near-death experiences. And he said, man, if there's any truth to this, I better check it out. And he did research, I think over a period of 10 years, interviewed thousands of people mm -hmm. and, you know, wrote the book. And one of the commonalities of it when is that there was a greeting committee, angels, Jesus, but there were loved ones there mm -hmm. to greet them. Like a guy, Don Piper, he was a pastor that got run over by a truck. He saw his, his grandfather who kind of mentored him and raised him in the faith. And his grandfather was there. A lot of people talk about that. And Dr. Mary Neal said she was young. She didn't really have any loved ones that she knew here that passed on. But there were people there that were so excited that she was there. And she felt like they were ancestors and then just people that were there to love her and be with her. So it, that part's very compelling. So I, I, I imagine that you imagine that reunion with Joey because I think about it, you know, about mm -hmm. Liam. You know, for Liam, he was a, a patriot and loved the Marine Corps. And I think, well, maybe he's meeting some of the guys that he read about because he read like a fiend. He read and read and read. Even like his, you know, like Chesty Puller of the Marine Corps or maybe even like maybe he met George Washington or Abe Lincoln because he read their biographies. You just right. don't know. Yeah. So, 
you know, you imagine that, you think about that, you know, and you imagine, you know, Joey maybe running and leaping and. Well, I think of the the passage that says, "We shall be known even as we are known." Yeah, we yeah. shall know even as we are. Have been, uh, it can relate to us personally. Yeah, but it's like we're going to be open book to anybody and everybody, so we're going to be able to see with those spiritual eyes everybody. We're we're going to know all. Yeah. Yeah, I think the the we'll have the same love for them, but you know, for us stuck here on Earth yet, um, I think it's a comfort to think that we're going to continue that relationship that we had developed with people we love here on Earth now in this life, but it's going to be perfected, you know. But all we can really see and hang on to is those certain ones. Right. Uh, but I think we'll, we'll have those, that same love for all of them. Everybody's. Yeah. You know, I, I, yeah, I think this life definitely has a lot to do with the, I don't know the, I don't know if that's our inheritance, our loved ones and the people that we loved and built into each other's lives, you know, but we'll have, we'll have all eternity to, to figure it out. Oh yeah, that'll all be sorted out when we get there. So <laughs> be patient. Anything else you want to share with you know maybe someone that's listening that's struggling with grief, um, or 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 feeling lost in their grief? The only thing I can say is that as much as you love the person you lost, God loves you more, and to mm-hmm. seek out that love from Him. Get to know him and how much he loves you. And in in doing that, I think that it will it will provide a, a, a comfort that you've never really felt before. Uh, it, you're not going to get over this grief. You're not going to get and make it go away. That's not going to happen. But in in realizing that kind of divine love for you personally will make a major difference in how you respond to that grief. All right, Ron, thank you for for, for sharing. I think it's going to be very beneficial. Twenty-five to fifty people per podcast. And I'm not counting numbers, but they only tell me the numbers. I don't really know who's listening out there. And if you want to shoot an email and provide some feedback or give a word of encouragement of how we're encouraging you, that would be greatly appreciated. And we thank you for listening. And we hope that you are on the journey to finding joy, the joy that Ron talked about that he felt like made a bubble around him. All the information of how to get in touch and our Facebook page is on the show notes. And thank you again for listening. Remember, God's grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in weakness and nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. 